want you to notice verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. And the title of the message this morning is, Are You Sorry? Are You Sorry? You know, every parent in here has probably ask their child that question before, after they've done something, after you've punished them, uh, you know, you might ask them, like, are, are you sorry for what you did? You know, it's like, Dad, can I stop standing in the corner? You know, can I, you know, quit being grounded or whatever? And you do, you ask that question, are, are you sorry for, for what you did? And when you ask that question, it's not because you just have this goal as a parent to just cause your kids emotional pain, okay? You, you just want them to understand why they got punished. You want to make sure that they get it. You want them, you, you're hoping that they've changed their ways, that, you know, that they will regret doing that kind of thing and that it's not going to keep happening. That's why you ask that question. You, know, you want them to agree with you that what they did was wrong. You're trying to change their mind because you don't want to fight that battle every day. You want to be in agreement going forward. And obviously, you know, we know that in, you know, in a home you have rules. You know, like kids, if you do this, you get spanked. If you do this, you get grounded or whatever. You've got like, you know, you, every house has their own set of rules and punishments. But at the end of the day, you know, you don't want the kids to be thinking, all right, well, you know, punishment for hitting my sister is I get three swats. That's worth it. So, and then they just go hit their sister, you get three swats, and then you're like, okay, you know, I'm a just parent. No, you want them to be sorry. Because you don't want them to keep hitting your sister or their sister because you don't want to keep spanking them every day. You know, you also don't want, sometimes too, you know, as parents, you might have to increase the penalties for certain things because it's like kids just aren't getting the message. They're not sorry for what they did. You want to be in agreement going forward. And, you know, the preaching of the word of God, it is sometimes it needs to be something that actually makes you sorry. It's something, and a lot of people today, they, they want to go to a church that only makes them feel good. But you know what? Sometimes you need to feel bad. Sometimes you need to be made sorry. And we see here, and, and obviously, you know, as a preacher, you know, I don't, I, it's not that I'm wanting people to just feel bad. But sometimes people need to feel bad. And so I want us to go through this passage and look at what Paul was talking about, because there's some very important lessons we need to understand here. And something, too, that you all should want when it comes to preaching. It, you ought to want to go to church where every once in a while you feel bad. You should. Most people today are looking for the opposite. And we're going to talk about that. But no, you ought to be looking for a church. You ought to want to come to a church where it's like, you know what, there's a good chance I'm going to get nailed this week. Okay. And obviously as a pastor, you know, I don't, I shouldn't be up here like per, you know, person taking out personal grievances I have with people, you know, just singling people out to embarrass them and stuff like that. But, but you know, my goal as a pastor is that the Holy spirit will nail you, you know, and sometimes I have to, that's no fun. I don't enjoy that part of the job, you know, but it, you know, my goal is to preach and the Holy spirit clean your clock, you know, cause he'll do a better job than I'll do. And, and sometimes you have to, and Paul did that in the previous letter. We'll make some references to it where, you know, he actually singled things out and singled people out. Well, let's look at verse 1. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves 
from all filthiness of the uh, of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so, because we have the promise of salvation, and we have and the prom, or the promise of imputed imputed righteousness, because we are the children of God, we have the promise of a new body. All these things, because we are forever secure in Christ, Paul isn't saying we should take advantage of that. He's saying, you know, we should cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh. We should perfect ourselves in holiness. And our flesh is still filthy, even though we're saved. But you know what? How does it make you feel when you hear that? Because a lot of preachers will get up and say, well, you know what? Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. You know, aren't we so filthy? And then they say it in a way that makes you feel good. That's really not how it's supposed to work. No, you should, you should feel bad about your sin. Jesus had to die for that sin. I mean, the work that he has had to do so he can transform you one of these days and he hasn't physically transformed you yet, it shouldn't cause you to just get a warm, fuzzy feeling about yourself. You ought to, you know, we need to be disgusted by our sin. Otherwise, we're not going to change. If we do not get disgusted with who we are in the flesh, we are not going to walk in the Spirit. So that's, that's not good preaching when preachers get up there and they say the right things, but make you feel good about it. Give you a warm, fuzzy feeling. You should be made sorry. And, you know, and so how does it make you feel? When he says that, hopefully it makes you feel bad. He says, receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were coming to Macedonia... Our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side without were fightings within were fears. And if you're wondering what he's talking about there, we just talked about that on Wednesday when he went into Macedonia and, that, and he was in Philippi and that's when they went, uh, were thrown in jail, were beaten. But he says, nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in, in you. When he told, you, told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice more. Now, what's Paul talking about here? It's very important that we get a hold of what he's saying right here. Because Paul said, while we were going through all kinds of terrible things, we got some good news from Titus. And the good news that we got from Titus is that you all were mourning. And he's like, how was that good news? Well, there's, there's a reason that was good news. And so, he was comforted by the fact that they were mourning too for him, that they were sad about the bad things that were happening to him because I think it's clear that Paul was afraid that they were probably going to hate him after the letter he wrote him in 1 Corinthians because if you read 1 Corinthians, it's not all warm and fuzzy stuff. He's nailing them in 1 Corinthians. He's nailing individuals in 1 Corinthians. And so now this church needed it. Paul's telling them the truth, but you've got to understand sometimes when you tell people the truth, people that you love, they don't take it very well. Sometimes when you tell people the truth, you end up losing a friend. And the Apostle Paul, he's not real sure where these people are at. He had said in 1 Corinthians, they were, he can't even feed them with meat. He's got to give them milk because they're still babes in Christ. But Paul's got to these people's position that they were in spiritually was not acceptable. It was not okay. And so Paul, he didn't enjoy it. He's like, I'm going to have to tell these people some very unpleasant truths. And he told them 
what they needed to hear, but what he didn't know for sure was how they were going to respond to it. So when all of a sudden he gets word from Titus that, hey, the people in Corinth are sad about what you're going through, Paul all of a sudden got excited. Like, they don't hate me. They, they responded well. They responded properly to the rebuke that they got. And it says in Proverbs 9, 7, He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. He that rebuketh a wicked man getteth to himself a blot. So if he's, you know, if he's writing this to these people, if they're scorners, it's going to be bad for them. But, the Bible says in, in verse 8, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. So Paul had rebuked these people that had a lot of problems, but you know what? They still loved Paul, which showed Paul these people have some hope. These people have some wisdom. There's actually a chance that these people are going to make it and they're going to do something for God. So this was good news when Paul just hears that these people care about me, that they love me, that they're mourning because of what I'm going through. This was good, this was good news. And good people, they want to hear the truth about their condition. While bad people don't want to know. Listen, good people, you know, and, and when I say good people too, I mean people that are good in heart, people that have a desire for truth, people who have a desire for life, they're, they're going to come into a church ready to get nailed. You know, because if they need it, they want to hear it. Good people that have their, their, whose hearts are in the right place. Well, they might have a lot of sin. While they might have a bunch of baggage they're still carrying around. If their hearts are right, they're going to read their Bibles Thinking, all right, here we go. I wonder what the Holy Spirit's going to nail me for this time. I wonder what I'm going to have to give up this time. Now, some people, they come to church with this attitude. Oh, I wonder what the preacher's going to tell us we got to stop doing today. You know, I wonder what the Bible's going to tell me. I can't do, you know, the Bible's just a bunch of rules. That's all it is. That's what a person with a wicked heart does. But you know, that person whose heart's in the right place, they're ready. They're like, all right, I'm pro- I'm, I, I might not like this, but I'm going to take it. I want to hear what the Bible has to say. John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And you, know, you need to understand, too, when you're, when you're giving the gospel to people... There's a lot of people who are involved in some pretty wicked sins. But the problem with these people, it's not that they're just these evil people. It's that no, they've just never been given any light. And there's some people that are out there that are involved in some pretty deep sin. But if you go to them and you give them light, they'll take it. They're ready to hear it. And they will get saved in spite of the fact that they've got all kinds of junk that's in their life. But, you know, you've got other people who've maybe been raised around church. They've been raised in better families and things. And, you know, they might not have as much junk in their immediate life. They might not be immoral. They're not shacking up. They're not in drugs and drinking and all this stuff. They're not doing all these things. But those same people, they will get offended by everything that a preacher preaches against. You know why? Because they still have an evil heart. They've been brought up in a better culture in a more, you know, in a, in a culture that's more along the lines of the Bible, just kind of like the Jews. I mean, they had a much better culture than the Gentiles did. But look at the difference in the way the Jews responded to preaching and the way the Gentiles responded to preaching. 
those Gentiles had way more sins that they were guilty of. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he even used the phrase, we who are not sinners after, after the Gentiles. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners. There was a big difference. There was a lot of things Jews had never done where Gentiles had done all those things. When, but when the apostles would come along and they would preach about all those sins, the Gentiles were like, man, we're, yeah, we are bad. And then they would receive Jesus Christ where the Jews, you know, they would preach about them. How, you know, you guys, you know, you're making too big of a deal over just traditions and things. And then they lose their minds and they, they kill Jesus. So understand that when it comes to, you know, who, you know, the evil, like it's talking about here in John, it's not about how many sins people have done or how many things they're guilty of. But there, there's a difference between those who want to know the truth and just haven't had any light in their life and those who hate truth and those who hate light. And let me tell you, those people are out there and a lot of them are even going places that they call churches too for some reason. But So back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in verse 8, it goes, it says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. And so the Apostle Paul, too, he understood how people respond to truth is very telling. And when Paul originally wrote that letter, he says, he says, you know what, that letter I wrote, it was pretty rough. It was pretty mean. And he said, and I don't repent. He said, I'm not sorry that I wrote that letter to you. But he said, I did repent. So there was a time after Paul sent that letter, he was probably like, he's like, man, I shouldn't have done that. I wonder if we can go chase down the mail guy before he gets it, you know, to Corinth and stop this letter from getting to him. But it's too late now. All right, let's just see what happens. So it's like he's bracing himself, waiting to hear bad news from Corinth because of this letter that he sent. But when he heard what their response was, it gave him great comfort because that tells you everything. And again, it doesn't, I, I don't get concerned if I preach or if I, if I, you know, if I'm telling somebody the truth about sin and then I find out they have that sin in their life. If, if they're repentant of that, if they're sorry for that, if they're trying to change that, people who come to this church, if they have a bunch of baggage, like I'm struggling in this sin and this sin, when those people are you know, accepting the truth about their sin and are trying to get victory over that sin, you know what? We ought to love those people. We ought to help those people. We ought to lift those people up. But you know, because that's good. They're responding to truth. They want light. They want to hear preaching about the sin that's in their life. But people, when you show them the truth and they freak out and they start hating you, that's, that's a really bad sign. So this was a good thing for Paul. And so he saw this epistle that he had written. It made him sorry it didn't make him feel good. And the bad feelings, that's not what made Paul feel good. He you know, if, if there was a way we could fix everybody without ever making anybody feel bad, wouldn't that be great? But the truth is, it's going to make people feel bad for a while. But you know what? It's worth it. Because it accomplishes good things. And so Paul, he doesn't enjoy making them feel bad. You know, even though he said he regretted for a time sending the letter, but he's glad he did it because... One, it was the right thing to do. I mean, we know that was inspired scripture he was writing to them. There's no doubt he should have wrote it. He should have sent it to them. And you know what? But thankfully, it did what it needed to do. It accomplished 
what it needed to accomplish. They repented. He says, verse 9, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry. It, that wasn't the goal. I'm not, he's like, I'm not, I wasn't here to, I'm not here to make you feel bad. But I'm here to help you get right. He says, but that ye sorrow to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. And so he's not so cruel to just rejoice that they felt bad, but that he caused them to repent. And let me tell you, there is a godly sorrow and there is a worldly sorrow. There is a difference. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. It caused the real sorrow that actually changes a person. Many of your children, when you are punishing them, they are sorry for what they did because they are sorry they are getting punished. They are sorry they got caught. They are sorry. They might even be sorry mom and dad's mad at them. But when it comes to what they're getting punished for, they're not sorry at all. They're going to do it again. Just this time, I'm not going to get caught. You know, this time I'm going to try to get I'm going to try to get by with it. But no, the godly sorrow is the kind that will actually change you, that will actually get you to turn away from that sin and start doing what God wants you to do. And understand too, people they like to use this verse, you know, to prove you got to repent of all your sins to be saved. But the apostle Paul here, he's specifically talking about repenting of uh, you know sins of fornication. And things in the flesh, he was glad that they did that. And you know, and and of course, when it comes to salvation, you know, we do have to repent of our unbelief, since that's what's keeping us from being saved. And once we do that, you know, I don't believe people can repent of their belief, because I, I, we do believe once saved, always saved. So don't let people confuse you on that verse. But verse eleven says, "For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort." What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. Yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. So while this church had a lot of major problems, we see through the preaching of this painful truth that it caused them to remove the problem. And so because we have a God that can cleanse sin, this church, even though it was guilty of a great sin, this church can now go forward in innocence even though it had a past transgression. And that's a good thing. And I love what Paul said too. He said that what carefulness it wrought in you. He said, not only did you feel sorry for the sin that you had done, but you were diligent to make sure that you took care of that sin. You were diligent to remove this man from your, from your congregation. And the apostle Paul, he had to go on to tell him, listen, you were sufficient in your punishment of it. You you definitely took care of it. Let's not put a ton of sorrow on this guy to where you know he feels like he's hated. You know what? He got right to receive him back. You don't need to be so hardcore that not only do you throw him out, that you never let him come back either. That's not what we're about. But these, these people, what they did when they found out they had done wrong, they're like, we're going to get this right. We're going to make sure. That, and, and so it's the same thing too. If you were to 
punish your children. All right, let's let's say that you punished, you know, you had to punish one of your children for maybe watching something that they weren't supposed to watch. Okay. You punish them, you dealt with it. Great. But then if later on you find more stuff in their room, maybe you find some movies that you didn't know they had or something, that's going to upset you quite a bit because you're going to understand they obviously didn't truly repent because they're still hiding stuff. But what would make you feel good is after you punish them, maybe for watching something they shouldn't, they were just like, you know what? They went and they, they cleaned their room. They got rid of all that stuff. They burn all their DVDs. And maybe they're like, you know what, Mom and Dad? I don't even think I should have a cell phone. They gave you the cell phone. You know, you, did, you weren't even going to go that far, but they did. Mom and Dad, I don't even want, I don't want a TV anymore. Mom and Dad, could you block Wi-Fi access from me? Can you put a... Pa- you know, when they're doing all these things themselves as a parent, you know, they're, go- they're going above and beyond. That's going to make you feel good because it's like, you know what? I think they got the message. I mean, I didn't even think... It was that bad that we needed to go that far, but they're going all out to make sure they don't do this again. This is good news. You know, that's going to make, you know, you're not going to be glad that they did the wrong, but you're glad that they're being very careful to remove all these things. And so it's very clear that the thing that had caused this problem, um, you know, that, you know, what caused this problem to be fixed, it was not Paul's sweet personality and it wasn't even just the holy spirit doing work in their hearts all by itself but it was the result of the holy spirit doing a work in the hearts of the people through the unfiltered preaching of the word of god and there's a lot of preachers out there today who are acting like pastors they shouldn't you know get specific about sin you know what just preach the bible and the holy spirit will do a work in their hearts Whenever churches start setting standards and start teaching, you know, principles of separation and godliness and things, you know what, that, that's not up to you. Let the Holy Spirit fix those things. No, you know what fixed this church? It was the Apostle Paul getting real specific and telling this is what you need to do. It was unfiltered preaching of the Word of God. It was the naming of sin. And sadly, many churches and many pastors, they've gotten away from this kind of preaching today. They resorted to just a bunch of feel-good, ear-tickling type sermons that really don't help anybody in the long run. Because they don't want to make anybody feel bad. And that's not right. And you know, you might temporarily get someone sorrowing the sorrow of the world that quickly goes away. But the type of preaching that gets people sorrowing after a godly sort, it's authoritative preaching. And it's naming sin from the Bible. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he said in, he said in that letter in 1 Corinthians, he said, he said, you know what? It's reported there's fornication among you. And fornication that's not so much as named among the Gentiles. Hey, even the sorry Gentiles don't do the kind of stuff that's going on in your church. That's how bad you guys are. That's how out of line you are. He, he called it out. And we constantly see this type of thing in the Bible. And let's look at, and, and again, Let's look at some examples of them calling out sin in the Bible, and then let's look at the responses too, because that's important. I'm, I'm just going to jump to several passages if you want to follow along. But Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, Peter's preaching. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Now, that, you know what that means? It hurt. They're getting pricked in the heart. It was not making them feel good. But look at the response. 
and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? This is a good response right here. Okay, they got pricked in the heart. Didn't make them feel good. They said, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In John chapter 8 and verse 7, when the woman is taken uh, in adultery and they bring him to Jesus. You all know the story. It says, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he stooped down and wrote in the ground, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And so notice with these people, they got convicted by their own conscience. This didn't make them feel good, what Jesus said. And they just, they just left. They just, they just walked away. You know, what they probably should have done in that situation is they probably should have said, you know what? I could use some forgiveness myself. They, they just kind of walked away. This isn't as good of a response. right here. This is what a lot of people do when they hear preaching that convicts them. They just walk away. A lot of people come to church. Church makes them feel bad. I was out soloing uh, years ago uh, when I was at, at my last church, and I talked to a guy, and he brought up how he used to go to another Baptist church, and I knew the pastor, and it was a good church and a good pastor. And he said that I quit going to that church because every time I went there, the preacher made me feel bad while he preached. And I told him, I said, that's a good thing. And he didn't understand that. I said, preaching's not supposed to make you feel good. It's, it should make you feel bad. I said, he's obviously doing his job. But that's not what a lot of people are looking for. Acts 7.54 was with Stephen preaching. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. But then it says, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They ended up killing him. So we see in the Bible, all these, we see different examples of people getting pricked in the heart and getting right. We see people getting convicted by their conscience, just walking away. We see people getting cut to the heart and we see them gnashing on with their teeth. There's all kinds of different responses you can get. But one thing that all these things have in common is people got nailed in, this preach, in that preaching. It was stuff that didn't make them feel good. Even in the Old Testament, when people would get a glimpse of God, when they would get a glimpse of truth, it wouldn't make them feel good. We see in Psalm 73, 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. He got a hold of some truths. There were some things that he was struggling with. We're not going to go through the whole passage, but it says, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down to destruction, how are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors when a, as a dream when one awaketh? So, Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. So, all of a sudden, I believe this is Asaph here, he understands there were some things I didn't understand. He said, you know, I, I started having these doubts about God because God wasn't doing things the way that I thought he should. But he's like, when I went to the sanctuary of God, when I got a hold of the truth, you know what it says? Thus, my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee and thou hast hold me by my right hand. So he understood God still loves me. God, you're with me. But you know what? I was made to feel like a beast before you. You know what? You make most people feel that way today. They're never going back to that church. 
But this guy, when he went to the sanctuary, he was like, I'm foolish. I'm ignorant. I'm like a beast. That's what happened to him when he got a hold of the truth of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, in verse 1, Isaiah speaking, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And it stood above the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. Uh, with twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, folks, nobody said anything to Isaiah about his unclean lips. Nobody said anything to him about that. All they did was said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The holiness of God was lifted up. He got a glimpse of the glory of God. And you know what? It, it didn't make him feel good. It made him feel bad. And he said, woe, he, he ended up saying, woe is me. But you know what? People think, you know, I went to church and I just, I, every time I go to church, I just feel like the, the ceiling's going to cave in on me. I just, I'm just, I just feel bad. I have all these negative feelings. Well, you know what? Maybe you're in a holy place. Maybe that church is doing a good job praising God's holy name, lifting up, lifting up the holiness of God. These seraphims, they didn't, they said nothing about his sorry mouth. They said something about the holiness of God. And you know what? People are going to convicted, get convicted just by that. If we as a church do a good job lifting up the name of God, promoting His holiness, it's going to make people feel bad. It's going to make us feel bad. Yeah, and thankfully, though, God doesn't desert us. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him which uh, we have to do. So the word of God, it gets to the truth of the matter. Everything is open and revealed. Nothing is hidden. Listen, you all can put on a front here at this church. You can deceive all of us. The word of God is not going to be deceived. The Holy Spirit's not going to be deceived. You can put one over on me, but you know what? The truth is, if I'm preaching the Word of God, and if the Word of God is doing what it's, it, it does, if the Holy Spirit's doing a work in your life, you know what? It's going to nail you if you need to get nailed. It's, go, it's going to reveal truth, and when it happens, you're not going to feel good. Just like often, when we look in a mirror, it's not always a pleasant experience. When you look at the scale, it's not always a pleasant experience, but it's a truth. Doesn't, it's not what we want to see. And, a lot, and good preaching, it's going to be the same way. The Word of God is going to be the same way. It's going to reveal the truth. But the, you know what? This is not what we're seeing in most churches today. And why is it that churches that, who are preaching the way the Bible says we should preach, why are they running people off so easy today? You know, it's, it's amazing how fast people get run off. I mean, this is what the Bible says we're supposed to do. This is, this is the impact that it had in the Bible. But yet today, people are terrified of this kind of preaching. It used to be commonplace. People used to know, if you go to that church, it's going to be hellfire and brimstone. That, was just, that, that used to just be preaching everywhere. 
where people expected that. I mean, remember, you know, remember even shows like Pollyanna. Remember the way that preacher preached? It was hellfire and brimstone. And, you know, that was the way people used to just think of preachers. It's just getting out there, being a maniac, ripping on everybody's sin. Everyone's going to hell. And obviously, that's not how they preached, but that's how everybody felt. Because they're, they're nailing sin. But now, look at the way preachers are portrayed. Effeminate, just soft, just... It's absolutely, you know, gay, whatever. It's absolutely ridiculous the way that they're portrayed. And now people can walk into a church like this today and they can hear preaching. They can hear somebody get up and start ripping on sin. And they're just like, I can't believe this. I mean, look how many, we get people shocked all the time. You know, clips getting shared all over. Listen to what this hate preacher said. It's like, are you kidding me? I don't even consider myself a hellfire brimstone crazy type preacher you know I, I i don't feel like i'm that at all you know i i preach my personality and i'm a nice easygoing guy i got to get myself fired up sometimes you know but yeah it, to listen to people you think i was just horrible what's going on you know since it used to be so common to get convicted this used to be what people expected but now they're shocked and horrified and you know, where is this heading What's going on? But you know, it's heading exactly where Paul said it was heading. This is exactly what Paul said was going to happen. And this is why we're not seeing a lot of convicting preaching today and why people are not even expecting to feel sorry after they hear preaching. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So Paul warned us, this is going to come. There's going to come a time where they're not able to endure sound doctrine. I mean, think about it. The things that upset people the most about our church today are preaching things that at one time everybody agreed was a sin. I mean, most things that people get mad about is preaching against homosexuality. Can you believe that people frown on preaching against homosexuality today? I mean, that's there's churches out there. You got these United Methodist types that are putting rainbow flags in, on their buildings, you know, and then putting messages on their sign, basically welcoming sodomites. And, you know, and then and even Baptists, we get mad, but at least the Baptists, they'll let them come in, but then they're going to try to at least give them to repent of being a sodomite so they can get saved, <laughs> you know. And, and that's considered hateful. Even, even that is considered hateful today. We're not even allowed to talk about the most disgusting sin on the planet without getting everybody all upset. You know what? How did that happen? How are we even notable in a church our size? How is it even notable and noteworthy when we rip on sodomites? You know why? Because they've heaped to themselves teachers. Our country has heaped to itself places calling themselves churches. They've got steeples, churches in their name, They've got people standing behind pulpits calling themselves preachers, but you know what? The last thing they're ever going to do is get up and say anything that's going to make anyone sorry. 
The last thing they're going to do is get up and say anything that would actually make people feel bad, even though the Apostle Paul said, man, when I wrote 1 Corinthians, I repented at first. And you know, sometimes as a preacher too, you know, you got to get up and you got to preach things and you do, you, you feel bad. You go home. It's like, man, nobody's going to come back to church next week. I remember, I remember when we, we first started the church, I remember in some of those early week, early services, I remember thinking, all right, you know what? I got to make sure our, this church knows where we stand on certain issues. And I remember thinking, you know what, man, I hope we don't lose people. And I would preach those sermons and nobody would walk out but i would also wonder are they going to come back next week and you know what they kept coming back and you know what it made me feel good and i'm like hey i can get away with stuff here you know i, I can preach i can preach the truth in this church i remember the first time i preached against homos at, at, at liberty baptist church I, I remember the first time and i remember thinking man i hope i don't lose people and i remember i had people coming up to me after the service and they were thanking me for it and it's like you know I've always kind of felt that way, but people were like being made to feel bad for feeling the way that they felt about the homos. And they were like thanking me for it. And I remember I was like, I can rip on sin in this church and I was going to do it anyway. Okay. You know, if, if I would have gotten chewed out, if the people would have come back, I still would have done it, but you know what? I want people to come back. I don't want to run people off. And if I preach something too that, you know, that hurts and that, that convicts and all that, you know, I'm glad that the word of God is having an impact, but I don't enjoy making people feel bad, you know, but at the same time, when I see a good response, when you see people get right, it's a great feeling. It's, it's a good thing. And I'm glad we had that on that, but that's what we need in churches today. I remember, I remember somebody telling me, I preached a message about conviction and I remember them telling me, they said that was, it was, it was like the second or third week I preached one and I talked about that. And they said that was the first convicting message I've heard in years. And it's like, you know what? That should happen all the time. You should regularly get convicted. And so, so but people, they're heaping themselves teachers. And so there's always a place where you can run and they're going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. But you know what? Let's go ahead and be just 100% honest here as independent fundamental Baptists. Did you know there's some things that some of us IFB types, there's positions that we have that, you know, we like hearing. You know, it, did you know it's not hard preaching when I'm up here preaching against the homos? Because you don't have a problem with that, okay? Hopefully nobody's getting convicted. <laughs> you know, so uh, when, I, when I'm preaching that, hopefully there's like zero conviction in the room. If, if and uh, if there is, that's a problem, you know. And we had a guy that got convicted one time when we preached that, and he never he never came back. We didn't know, uh, but uh, it, got, it got you know got rid of him. But you know, here, here's the thing though. Do you ever get convicted by preaching here? Because you know what, if you're not ever getting convicted by preaching here, then you know how are we how are we not any better than these other feel good churches? Okay, you feel, you know, those churches feel good hearing preaching against harm in the environment and, you know, hearing preaching promoting, you know, diversity and uh, women's rights and all that kind of stuff. You know, you right-wingers, 
you know, you feel good, you know, hearing preaching, ripping on sodomites and perverts and all that kind of stuff. You know, we, we have, you know, we have our more conservative values that we actually really like. But you know what? I'm, we shouldn't be coming here to just have me reinforce everything that we all agree on. And believe We're supposed to be perfecting ourselves in holiness. We're supposed to be coming more like Christ. And since we're not there yet, you know what that, that tells me? That we need to be getting some preaching that's kind of nailing us a little bit. And if we're not getting that, we're doing something wrong. And if our hearts are right, we're going to want to hear preaching that makes us sorry. We're going to want to be convicted. Not so we can be emotional. Not so we can have a good cry. Some people want that. They, want to, they like to have a good cry. You know, not so we can just have some kind of spell and feel like, all right, the Holy Spirit did something. But no, so we can get right with God. So we can stay close to God. And sadly today, people are setting up places called churches that are nothing more than feel-good centers. Where you can come, you won't be told you're bad. And you know what? That can happen in IFB church. We preach against all kinds of sin, but you know what? Who cares if I'm saying they're all bad? No, you need to be hearing preaching, you're bad. That's what you need to hear. And they will, and anytime they do have to just get on certain subjects, they will apologize for the Bible. They'll do whatever you can. they can to make you feel comfortable, but they will also never help you become more like Christ. And you know what? It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit church, and one of the biggest ways to tell what the real thing is, the biggest way to actually tell what real Holy Ghost-filled preaching is, what real Bible preaching is, it's going to be preaching that makes you sorry. It's going to be preaching that actually brings conviction. It's going to cut to the heart. It's going to, it's going to prick your heart. It's going to do all those things. And you know what? We're going to have people too. They're not going to respond well. There's going to be people that are going to hear that. That's not what I came for. Well, you know what? Pastor Skinny Jeans, he'll never make you feel bad. Go to his church. We want to become more like Christ. That iron is supposed to sharpen iron. We need to make sure that we are, that we're not get not not because we're just trying to guilt trip people. I'm not interested in guilt tripping anybody. I'm not interested in controlling anybody. That's not me at all. But I am interested in preaching the Bible the way the Bible says. And so that means, you know, we're going to feel bad every once in a while. That you're going to have to walk out of some services like, I did not enjoy that. Well, you know what? Good. Good. And you know what? I pre- I'm saying all this too because tonight I want to preach a message. And you know what? I hope you don't feel good after it. You know, and, and it's not that I'm said it's not because I'm just mean and I want to. My goal tonight, I want to make everybody feel bad. You know, but no. We want to make sure we're getting more like Christ, and so that means we're going to have to just get on sin every once in a while and because we want to keep sin out of the church last week we talked about keeping the leaven of false doctrine out of the church but you know what else we need to keep we need to keep the leaven of sin out of church too and so some very important things uh we want to cover and so hopefully this will be a help and a challenge and you will come to church with the attitude of not i hope he gets them but you ought to have that attitude. i hope not and you know not even that i hope pastor tommy nails me Okay, I don't know. You ought to come saying, Holy Spirit, let me have it. He's the one that needs to nail you. The, the, he, that to have a real effect and a real impact. And every time that happens, it ought to make you thankful. Every time God gets on you, every time God chastens you and punishes you, you know what? It ought to make you feel good 
Because it's like, you know what? I definitely have a Heavenly Father. I definitely have a Heavenly Father because I just got whooped by Him. And we all need that every once in a while. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that this message will uh, have an impact on people. Lord, I pray you'll help everyone to have hearts that are ready to hear your word and to ready to receive whatever you have. And Lord, I pray that uh, our Bible reading time will get convicting. I pray preaching time will be convicting. I pray, Lord, you'll just keep doing a work that you, uh, we are here, Lord, not just to win souls, but we're also here uh, for the perfecting of the saints. And so I pray you'll help us to uh, be constantly changing and growing closer to you and more like you. And I pray you'll just do a real work in, in our lives so we can do great things as a church. In your name we pray. Amen.